Hey, what's going on? Oh, we going? Yeah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? New Guys Podcast, Season 2, Episode 20, coming back at you, presented by Ride the Wave Media. We got the same crew as last week, Jordan, Pat, and Dylan. Um, you can, obviously, our t- handles are in the description down below, our Instagram handles. Uh, we can throw Twitter down there, whatever you guys want, besides Snapchat. That's never going to happen. We've been over this many times. Um, we're going to – this one's, I'm hoping, maybe could be on the shorter side. I mean, it's probably going to go out around like an hour like we always do because something is definitely going to come up. Someone's going to go at it. But we know our Super Bowl matchup this week. We're going to get into, like, breaking down the actual matchup between Kansas City and Tampa Bay next week. So you'll have to wait to tune into that since there's that two-week period in between conference – uh, the conference championships and Super Bowl Sunday. So let's going in order of the games that were played. NFC Championship, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. What can you say? Brady's going to his 10th Super Bowl in his career, trying to get his seventh ring. And now I kind of threw a jab at my friend Keith Rennick last week saying, Rodgers, oh, this is going to be the one where Brady gets one against Rodgers. I can finally stick one to him. And hell, I did. Um <laughs> I just feel bad for Green Bay Packers fans, man, for uh, for many reasons. Just going to the NFC Championship every year and losing, that can't be fun. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was Matt LaFleur's – you can – before we get into Matt LaFleur's idiotic play call on fourth and goal with just over two minutes left, you have Aaron Rodgers, right? And you're go, you're not going – you're not going for it? Hell, then you can say you're going down swinging because Kevin King was getting lit up all game. And you can you can blame the refs all you want. It doesn't take away from the fact that Matt LaFleur still called this play. It's not like the refs slid him five bucks and said, hey, uh, call this, go for a field goal here and let Tom uh, just chip away at the clock and rip apart your defense in these last two minutes. So, I mean, I don't think – I think we're all going to be in agreement. Uh, I think we're all going to agree here. But this is the new guys podcast. We're bound to disagree. So I want to hear what you guys think about this play call. I have a bit of a theory behind why he may have done what he did. So how much time was left? There was what? three thirty, four minutes, something like that. I right. think there was, there had to have been like just over two minutes. I think okay. I feel like it was just before the two minute warning. So let's say under three minutes. If you go for the, if you go for it. Okay. Let's say you go for that. You score the touchdown. You get the two point conversion. It'd be a tie game, right? They were down by eight. Now you're giving Tom Brady the ball back in his two-minute drill. Prime Tom Brady. That's where he thrives, right? That's probably something Matt LaFleur doesn't want to do there, right? If you go for it and you don't get it, you at least pin them. uh, Or if you kick the field goal, I should say, like he did, at least then Brady's put into a position where he just needs to run the clock out and you're not going to have him trying to push it down the field. So maybe the in, in in addition, you don't want to go to overtime with Tom Brady in a playoff game. So maybe the idea was if we keep the field goal here, we make Tom Brady have to play the clock. He's not going to be th- dotting us up, which he kind of did, but he, there was more running than they would have if they were tied up. And then if we get that ball back, it's in the hands of Aaron Rodgers. If we, if we don't get it, we lose the game. If we get it, we win the game. There's no overtime. I think that's kind of maybe what he was thinking. And I can't – I mean, I don't think – in hindsight, it wasn't a good move because they lost, but that thinking kind of makes sense. I mean, if you go for if you go for that and um and and you don't get it, I mean, I think it was it was logical for them to go for it just because if you don't get it, you pin them back. If you do get it, it's a tie game. But the logic of you don't want Tom Brady with the ball, with the ability to win the game, and 
um, in regulation is probably the thought process, but I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think, I think it was pretty stupid. I mean, I, I understand that point of view where you don't want to give Tom Brady the, the opportunity to go win the game, but I mean, I feel like you'd rather be in the position where you want to stop him from winning the game rather than you need to get this stop and stop him from just getting a couple of first downs. Like the other way, he would just have to go at yeah. least 50, 60 yards down the field to put them in scoring position. I think you go for it and you don't get it. Um, like you said, you pin them back there, whatever it was, like the six, seven yard line. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty difficult regardless of what, who you're playing really besides uh, the chiefs. So um, I just think it's a bad call. You could say like he went off a chart or whatever. He went off of like, whatever, what you're technically supposed to do in that situation. Ability, yeah. Right. Um, uh, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, but I just I really don't think it was a good move, especially like given that on the third down, Rodgers had a wide open lane to the yeah. end zone yeah, and decided to try to throw it across his body to some some guy right on, right on the goal line, surrounded by like three defenders. It was um, Adams, I think. Yeah, I think it was just, mm, just a bad move. I, I get it, but I don't think in yeah. that situation that's really what you should be doing. Especially in a playoff game against against Brady, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm similar to you guys. Where like I understand the uh, the call. I just think it was the wrong call. There was just over two minutes left. You're putting a lot of trust in you know the Buccaneers' offense to fail to convert on first down. You know it, it, they were in the red zone. They should have just gone for it because, and obviously, like you guys said, with hindsight, they lost. So it's even easier to say that. But I just think it was the wrong call. Didn't really yeah. put them in the best position. Yeah. So do you think this and, has? Do you think this has to do with Matt Lafleur not trusting Aaron Rodgers in this position? Because the next point was I, I was going to go into is where does Aaron Rodgers go from here? Because obviously they drafted Jordan Love for some reason. It was like, hey. We're going to run it back with Aaron Rodgers one more year. He's finally got some talent around him. Let's try and get him to the chip this year. And if we win it, we win it. We don't, we move on. So do you think this, I think this really is going to drive Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay just because his coach didn't give him the opportunity to, it's like you go down swinging, right? You got to, you got to go down with honor. Like, and if you go for it there and you don't get it, your receiver drops it in the end zone. Okay. That gives you the fuel to want to come back the next year and run it back again with this team. But the fact that you kicked the field goal and you didn't give Aaron Rodgers the, the chance to score the game-winning touchdown within two minutes of regulation to send them to beat Tom Brady and go to the NFC champion on oh, the NFC championship, go to the Super Bowl, win the <laughs> NFC championship. That just does that just seems like LaFleur trusted his defense more than Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's stupid knowing that. Brady was kind of torching them up the whole game. I mean, Brady threw for almost 300 yards. Yes, he had the three touchdowns and three picks. But at the same time, he was still getting the ball down the field easily. So that's just my take on it. I mean, I, I, mean, I think it's... Yeah. Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Jordan, go ahead. Um, I'm thinking, like, you could put a lot of it on the floor, but at the same time, there were two Tom Brady picks in a row where Green Bay went three and out. Just three passes, three incompletions, or whatever. Didn't get the first down. Um, and had to punt the ball away. So, I mean, you could put it on the floor. You could put it on the offensive coordinator, whether or not they're trying to force the ball to Devontae Adams or whatever it is. But, you know, you, you can't be not capitalizing on those turnovers that Tom Brady has because they really had every chance to win that game. It's it's pretty tough when you look back at it, um, yeah. thinking, you know, Tom Brady had this horrible second half, and I was at work looking at it and thinking, like, he's basically letting them back in this game, and he did. 
but they weren't able to capitalize on it. That's really where they lost the game in that third yeah. quarter there where they weren't able to capitalize. So um, I know there was some news today that Rodgers is asking for a new contract. I think he's trying to see where Green Bay is at. If, if they re-sign him um, to a longer deal, they're going to have to get rid of Jordan Love probably. But if they don't, then he'll know that they're looking to move on from him at some point in the future. So yeah. I think from his point of view, it's kind of he's he's trying to test where they're at. Um, I think he'd be happy to move on if, if it came to that. But uh, I guess they'll have to see. Not really too sure. I, I mean, I'd be pretty pissed off if I was him. I think yeah. I know, consistently coming up short for the past 10 years has to be pretty frustrating. I think if uh, if this is a situation where he was expiring this year, you could see him maybe move on. But to put it in the the hands of the GM to trade Aaron Rodgers, I kind of feel like it's like if last year, um, you know, it's not to that extent because Brady is, you know, a generational, like he's, he's won more than Aaron Rodgers, but it's kind of like if last year, Brady had one more year left. You know, you look at it and you're like, well, we got knocked out in the wild card. Should we just trade Tom Brady? Like the people would say, no, just keep him. So I feel like um, this isn't a situation where the game was lost. Like Pat was saying, because of one person, <clears throat> one person, I mean, Rodgers had multiple chances to capitalize on turnovers went three and out the defense allows a touchdown with what, like, five seconds left in the second quarter gets burned over the top, which like you just can't do. Um, Lafleur's bad play calling. Like there's blame all around. So if Rogers is going to play the victim card and act like, you know, we lost the game because of play calling in the defense. I mean, that's just not right. It's Rogers didn't have a, like a, he had a good game. He didn't have a great game by any means. You know, he's not the reason why, or he, he, he can't put all the blame on the defense and the coach. So I think you see him back next year. Um, and we were talking about certain trade scenarios in the chat earlier this week, and it's it's going to be interesting to see if they do field offers what they're going to get because you know a lot of people are like, well, he's an old quarterback and so which is true, but you know if he he's an MVP, he's going to win MVP probably. I mean, I if you're not counting play, you shouldn't count playoff performances for MVP. So if you're just counting regular season, he should be the MVP. So I mean, he, people are saying you're not going to get a first, you're not going to get blah blah blah. I mean, whoever whoever gets him becomes probably a Super Bowl contender to be completely honest I mean you through you're you're putting a top five quarterback on on that team maybe the best quarterback in the league um even if it is for one year so if if a team isn't willing to give up a first for a shot at the Super Bowl I mean if I were the Patriots I'd give up the 15th right now and trade for Aaron Rodgers if that's the case I don't know if that is what the asking price is but maybe that's a hot take but I mean I don't know why you wouldn't You'd have to throw together some sort of package, maybe that yeah. 15th Gilmore and something else probably of high value. But yeah. I wanted to touch on something I was talking about last week from this game. Um, Green Bay had two ter- total turnovers. They had the Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers interception and the Aaron Jones fumble. And Tom Brady was able to capitalize off of – he was able to score two touchdowns. I don't know if it was two touchdowns or – a touchdown and a field goal, whatever. He was able to score both times off of those turnovers. And did I not say that last week <laughs> that the difference in this game would be Tampa getting those turnovers? Yes, I said it wouldn't be no easy task against Aaron Rodgers. They weren't going to get him to throw no three interceptions. Yeah. But at the same time, they were still able to get the turnovers, and Tommy just did what he had to do. And and yeah. I feel like Aaron Rodgers should have really won this game because th- that defense created three interceptions, three turnovers against Tampa and he wasn't able to score on any of them. So for anyone blaming the refs out there, you, you can't three. There were some, there were some bad calls, but it was kind of like both ways. 
But, yeah, but three interceptions, that's that's points right there. You got to get points off of those. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I understand that. But, I mean, I think the big thing that comes out of this game, I don't know, I'll throw it over to Dylan after this, but um, the Bucks defense, like I was one saying that I didn't think the Bucks defense could repeat what they did against Breeze. Because th- as much as good as Breeze is, there's a huge difference between Aaron Rodgers and Drew Breeze right now. So I'm thinking Rodgers doesn't make the same mistakes that Breeze, that Breeze made. It's just not going to happen. And he did. And you can't you can't play the, you know, Breeze can't throw and because Rogers is the MVP. He he shouldn't be turning the ball over that many times. But the Bucks defense is forcing those turnovers. So, I mean, the big the big thing for me with the Bucks at the beginning of the playoffs was they don't have the defense, the defensive capabilities to help Tom Brady. They and and that was just I think that was relevant at the beginning of this the playoffs. Uh, the playoffs because they weren't forcing turnovers like they were. Now you've got Brady capitalizing on every single pick pretty much in the past two weeks um, or turnover overall, which is a huge uh, plus for them going into the Super Bowl because you're going to need turnovers against Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to be, I don't think um, no one's going to slow down Patrick Mahomes, but if you can get a pick or two on him or a fumble on uh, Clyde Edwards or whatever, you know that can game that can change the game totally, and the Bucks defense to me is the MVP of the playoffs so far. Yeah, I would have to uh, agree with that only because like I I was the same way going to the playoffs. I thought that the Buccaneers defense really didn't have what it takes to take the Buccaneers all the way against teams like the Packers and I mean even the Saints, um, and they did. And I gotta give you know, props to Tom Brady and everybody on the Buccaneers offense because, as you said, they capitalize off the turnovers that they force. And that's the difference maker, especially in the playoffs. If you are forcing, like the Packers, if you're getting these turnovers but you're not scoring off of them, they're just waste of time, like empty possessions. Um, and though I'm pretty sure, I guess like two out of the three picks that um, the Packers got off of Tom Brady on uh, Sunday, they really weren't the best field position um, but at the end of the day, like those are still possessions that you have to score on and yeah. they didn't. So, um, you know, to, for people that say that, you know, the refs cost them the game, they costed the game, like they sold the game themselves. Obviously, um, it was a winnable game. They just didn't capitalize when they needed to. And that's their problem. Um, I don't really know if the, you know, field goal was a, you know, byproduct of, uh, LaFleur not trusting Rodgers or if he just thought it was just the better idea, you know, down the stretch. But um, from there, I don't really know where a Rodgers will end up because I just feel like any team that needs a quarterback, um, is he a free agent this season? Rodgers, he's got one more year. Oh, he's got one more year. So yeah. they're going to have to give up a pretty large package in order yeah. to bring him onto the team. I just feel like his best situation to run it back and try to win is the Packers. That's That's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah, and before we move on from this game completely, I was going to bring up, like, and Jordan brought it up for me, is Tampa's defense legit? And they're proving that. Antoine Winfield was out this week. He's probably their top safety. And what's his name? Jordan Whitehead went down halfway through the game, too. So they were playing without two of their top safeties. I'm not saying they're top safeties in the league. I think Antoine Winfield could be in years to come because it was just his rookie year this year. But they were down two two of their two best guys over the top especially against Aaron Rodgers, who has one of the best deep balls ever in NFL history. I mean, and it's going to be even more dangerous this year because it was his M- it was probably an MVP year. But I think that 
the ultimate te- um the ultimate test is this week. We're not going to get into it too much against Kansas City because that team is just yeah. Save that for next week. Speaking it's, of Kansas City, yeah. Just um, last point. It's it's kind of like they're crank. You crank it up like each notch. So you start with Washington, where it was kind of like let's see what they can do. Just like an easy kind of game. Which is kind of like funny because they struggled the most against Washington, arguably. And then you crank it to Drew Brees a little bit better, and then you go to Aaron Rodgers, and then the Chiefs. You could argue Rodgers maybe has a more potent offense, but it's like you keep weapons, leveling up pretty much. Yeah, the weapons on Kansas City. I mean, that's going to be the real test. So Mahomes is going to be the final boss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing I'll say on that is that um, I think you notice. I think as you progress, I don't really know about Washington's offensive line, but as you've gone on, the Was- the O lines have gotten worse. And you'll see now that, um, you know, last time, not to talk about it too much, but last time Kansas City and Tampa Bay played, they had a much healthier O-line than they do right now, especially with Eric Fisher going out. And they don't have Mitchell Schwartz either. And you saw this with Green Bay when Bakhtiari was, you know, out of this game. They were able to get to Aaron Rodgers a lot, hit him, sack him a couple times, um, just keep pressure on him. So I think that's a real key here um, for Tampa Bay's defense, keeping pressure on him and allowing um, those people in the secondary and linebackers to make some plays, um, you know, from pressure quarterbacks panicking, making some wrong throws or something like that. And I feel like I did say earlier in the year that Tampa's the only team in the league that could beat Kansas City. I don't know if I said it here or I said it to a few of my friends, but I definitely said that down the line. And when that comes true in two weeks, I can't wait to just rub it in people's faces. <laughs> uh Chiefs' big win over the Buffalo Bills. I, I think anyone who thought Buffalo had a chance in this game is just delusional on <laughs> Pat. Just because <laughs> I think the Chiefs I, I, are I just on, on another level, man. Travis Kelsey <laughs> had 118 yards, and Tyreek Hill had 172. In one game, the both of them. And Mahomes threw for, what, 400 yards or something like that? Or very close to it? Yeah. How do you, you can't slow them down no matter what. I think, yeah. uh, I think Tampa Bay could two weeks from now. But what are you guys' biggest takeaways from this game, either when it comes to Buffalo or Kansas City? I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me anyway, I, w- I was a big Bills Mafia guy going into going into this week. We I think that's mostly just because we, you know, we haven't seen the real Chiefs really. I mean, we saw them in the divisional round um, against the Browns, but even then, Mahomes went down. We haven't really seen like the real Chiefs um, the second half of the year. It seems like they were just kind of playing on cruise control. Like they had some close games with like yeah. the Falcons and the Dolphins, like some teams that aren't really at their level. Um, whereas the Bills were just like an absolute wagon going down the stretch. Nothing was really slowing them down. Not to say that they were better than the Chiefs, but mm. I think there was a lot of reason for people to get, or people such as myself, to get swept up in like, you know, the, the Bills hype train because they were just playing very good football on, you know, both sides of the ball. Um, yeah. But I think Kansas City really just, you know, they do what they do. They execute. Um, they don't make mistakes. And if they don't make mistakes, you're not going to beat them. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the Bills had, I'm pretty sure they had a couple turnovers. They actually didn't get to watch much of the game. Um, but, you know, you, you really can't do much against Kansas City unless you're forcing turnovers. You, you need a miracle if really, if you're basically any yeah. team playing the Chiefs, um, besides the Raiders somehow. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you need a lot of things to go right for you, and unfortunately, yeah. that didn't happen for the Bills. Um, great team, and that just goes to show that Kansas City is such a well-run team. So many good players um, doing exactly what they you know have to do in order to win. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's you know it's about what we expected at the start of the season. Kansas City just ran through the entire AFC, so 
Um, tough loss for the Bills, but like you know, it just goes to show you how good the Chiefs really are. People were sleeping on them, and they just kind of punched everybody in the mouth. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right in what you're saying. Like to me personally, I think the Browns hype train was way overblown. Like I thought there's no way in hell that the Browns beat the Chiefs. Like I thought it was going to be kind of a blowout. With the Bills hype train, I think it's completely legit. Like it was going to be a game, and and it's not like the Bills were riding some wave. I mean, they're a very good team. Like the Patriots are going to struggle to win the division for the next couple of years without a doubt. Like it's not even, even if they go and grab a, like a, you know, good quarterback that comes out of, uh, or, or from free agency, I should, I should say, I think they're still going to struggle to win just because of how good Buffalo is. But um, yeah, I mean, you hit on all the points. It's just, there's not, I think you need a veteran quarterback to beat the chiefs, someone who knows them pretty well. And obviously in the Super Bowl, once we preview it next week, you'll see that, you know, the on the other side is Tom Brady, and he knows the Chiefs probably better than any other quarterback in the league. But I think um, when you have guys like Josh Allen, who are still, I would say, on the on inexperienced side in terms of playoff football, just because they don't have, you know, he's only got a handful of games that he's played. When you have someone like Tom Brady, who's been here for 20 years and has seen all the different types of defenses and everything they can throw out at him, you know, he knows how to play against Andy Reid and these, you know, veteran coaches who are just scheming constantly. Um you know, for Mahomes, this will be the first. Uh, I think this this will be the, the the big test because you know he faces Baker Mayfield. Okay, I mean May, Mayfield, you know, struggled a lot in the beginning of the year and then kind of picked it up at the end. He's still, again, inexperienced quarterback. Allen, you know, MVP candidate, but still, it's playoff football. It's a different breed. Now you have Tom Brady, and he's he's the guy that, like we we say, the final boss with Mahomes. It's kind of a final boss for Mahomes on the other side too with Tom Brady. So. Yeah, like like Anthony said, we expected this, um, and uh, yeah, the the Bills shouldn't walk away from this thinking like we should have had that. I think it's just it's just a matter of the KC is just too potent on offense, and the Bills are growing and they're growing into someone that can compete with the Chiefs for the future. Yeah, I um, I would like to just build off that. The Bills really shouldn't hang their heads at all after that game. They had. You know, not nearly as much to lose as the Chiefs did. Uh, going to the season, like, the Bills were seen as, like, a good team, but nobody expected them to be nearly as good as they were. The fact that they made it all the way to the AFC Championship, like, Josh Allen didn't have nearly as much to lose as Mahomes did. And honestly, Mahomes just, it seemed like he was playing to prove that, you know, he's worth all the money that he got. He's worth all the hype. You know, um, Allen, I... You know, I love Josh Allen and the Bills. They impressed me. But um, it just seems to me that the Chiefs are, when they put, like, you know, their foot on the gas, it's, like, they near impossible. Like, they, it's near impossible to beat them. Like, they looked near perfect that game. You know, um, Mahomes wasn't making any mistakes. Hill was playing at his, you know, full level. Kelsey was playing, like, the best tight end in the league, like he did all season. It's just... That offense is so unstoppable that um, I just I don't really see how the Bills were seen as like competitors to them. I thought it was going to be uh, a Chiefs win no matter what. Didn't really know how close I thought it was going to be, but this team I I just I don't like talking about the Chiefs. They're good. <laughs> yeah, they're, just, they're not fair. They're not fair. Yeah. Yep. Especially when you play against Evan Madden. And I feel like the narrative over the last few years is the NFC has always been the tougher conference. And 
I just like the way the, the league is balanced right now because in the NFC, you have the veterans. You have your Tom Brady's, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, formerly Drew Brees. Um, you can even throw a guy like Matt Ryan in that mix. And over in the AFC is where all your young guys are. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, um, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. So I feel like over the next few years, the AFC is going to be the most fun to watch. I think outside of this year, I think we're going to start to see different um, teams coming out of the AFC. Um, Next year, I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens come out. I feel like they're finally going to get it together. I just put up an article about who, I mean, we talked about it. Was it last week or two weeks ago? I feel like it was last week when the Ravens lost. We were talking about who to blame. And I thought that was just the most interesting thing to me and how they can build off off of that loss this offseason. So AFC should be with the funnest conference and maybe all of sports to watch uh, next or next year. And to build off of that, Anthony, I want to ask you guys this. I just thought of this on the fly. But if we look at like the AFC East, generally it's been touted as like the worst division and it's not necessarily that like brady doesn't deserve credit or anything I mean, that's not what i'm talking about i mean like if you look at other than tom brady look at the qbs that have come come and gone in the afcs they've been pretty bad there's been no since josh allen came in no like solid starters if you think about the trade rumors and the draft coming up if deshaun watson gets traded to the dolphins let's just say hypothetically or the jets it doesn't matter and then trevor lawrence or Justin Fields gets taken by the Jets, you could have a Watson, Allen, Lawrence, and then whoever we decide to go with as the four QBs in that division. Does that become maybe in the future, let's say five years, the best division in football? Just because if you look at historically those QBs that are drafted pretty high, there's a pretty good chance one of them pans out. And if Lawrence becomes that guy that people are expecting him to be, and we already know Watson is good enough to be a top five QB. You could hypothetically have maybe maybe three top six, seven quarterbacks in the league in one division. And I think that's crazy because just a couple of years ago, people were talking about how, you know, the Patriots just get the walk in and, um, you know, wipe the floor with every every one of the AFC's challengers. And now I think there's a good chance that it becomes, you know, one of the better divisions in football in the next couple of years. I think if. Like I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at the standings from this past year. I think if you go by a winning percentage outside of the AFC North, which was nasty this year, yeah. I'm pretty sure the AFC East has like the highest winning percentage. I would say because you have the Bills are 13 and three, the Dolphins were 10 and six, we were seven and nine, yeah. and the Jets were two and 14. You know, compared to a lot of other divisions, like you know, we don't have a ton of bottom feeders really besides the Jets, and they were kind of tanking for a lot of the year. So yeah. I think you know, definitely the AFC I think is is on the rise. A lot of the NFC guys are getting old, you know, kind of not putting it together. But it's, it's exciting, definitely, because, you know, you've had the AFC dominated by Tom Brady and we're all Patriots fans. Um, actually, Dylan, are you a Patriots fan? I don't really know. Um, 49er. 49ers. Went fan. over the oh. <laughs> Okay, still, still. Well, we're a New England-based podcast anyway. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's been nice seeing us dominate the AFC for the past 20 years, but it is kind of exciting seeing these new guys, these these new faces coming up and kind of showing what they have. Um, definitely something to look forward to, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I could see the AFC East, like, eventually becoming, or within a few years, being like a powerhouse because when you have young talent, you know, you want to make sure you, sur- you surround it with more talent you know, unless apparently you're the Texans. But um, I think, you know, wherever Deshaun Watson goes, if it is the Dolphins or the Jets, they'll already be 
monumentally better than they are now. Um, whoever they draft, like with the young QBs all, you know, kind of like growing at the same time, because Josh Allen's young, he's like, you know, early 20s. Um, and uh, Watson's young, if he goes to the AFC East, that is. And whoever the Jets or the Dolphins or whoever they decide to draft, it could, and whoever the Patriots pick up, it could be a very interesting um, division, especially, and that would be nice to see because people normally consider the AFC East to be weak. That might just be said because Tom Brady was there and people like to, you know, create narratives against Tom Brady. But um, seeing the AFC East be strong would be like, interesting because i don't really know who i would crown as like the best division of football right now because you know you got the nfc west it's a lot of strong teams but those will eventually probably soon honestly start to decline so with the young division like the afc east or potentially young division like the afc east within a few years uh like jordan said like they could be like nice so at least at the top at least somewhere at the top definitely now now you have the Bills, who are obviously going to be good for years to come. Sean McDermott has really turned that team around, given them a culture. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, the whole crew down there. You have Miami, who I feel like out of every team in the AFCs, they have some more question marks than others, just because you don't know what's going to happen with Tua, but they still have a great, uh, great system down there. And Brian Flores, once again, turned them around great. The Jets, I think they're going to be good this year. I'm not going to. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but they're going to show much better. They're going to show much greater flashes than they did last year. Hard to be worse than they were this year. <laughs> no, Six, I think seven, Robert, eight wins. Robert Sala is going to really bring mm-hmm. a great culture to that team. And hell, if they land to Sean Watson, that's a great place to start with those two. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Patriots, right? It's, it's tough with them just because – actually, I'm going to go into this now. I was listening – I was watching the game, I should say – this past Sunday and I was hearing like the whole like final scoreboard came up. Oh, the chiefs are going to the super bowl, blah, blah, blah. And Tony Romo was calling that game and he was pretty much that's what, this is what really sparked it for me. He was like, Oh, this is going to be such a great division and uh, conference in football to watch next year. This and that the chiefs are still going to be good. Buffalo is going to be great for years to come. Uh, you got Baltimore. And then he, I don't, I think he said a few more teams, but he said something about new England. Mm-hmm. He said, Something, oh, we'll see what Belichick can do. I think, and he said that he could see them in this position next year, which I, I laughed I laughed out loud at that just because I'm not saying I don't believe in my team, but I feel like the AFC is way too strong right now. I feel like everyone's caught up to us as we have declined drastically. But still, you never know what Bill Belichick can do with that much cap space. So I, I would agree that the AFC could be the best division in football. Maybe uh maybe Romo's gonna come out of retirement, give us a new quarterback to work with. <laughs> now listen, I usually I I strongly dislike listening to Tony Romo just because I think he's really? obnoxious. Really? He's like he's oh like, God, Oh he's like, Oh, they're either gonna pass or they're gonna run and then they run. It's like I told yeah. you they were gonna run. It's like that kind of thing. It's like all right, R- Romo now, stop it. I, I don't I know, I like him. I don't I could have called that. I, I like him too. You. What Romo is saying, though, I think Belichick got like stripped of a lot of like people like just don't have confidence in him. I feel, like, it was like, un- after... I feel like a lot of it's kind of unwarranted. Not gonna yeah, lie. it's like he he gets so you get your franchise quarterback stripped from you. You have no cap space last year, not enough at least to do anything really. You have to sign Cam. You have to wait and sign Cam Newton for a million dollars, a quarterback where people really didn't know what you were getting. Um you have you still have a you still have a later round uh, first round pick. 
that you ended up not getting who you wanted and then trading back. And then you win seven games and miss the playoffs by like a hand, a, hand, a couple of games that you should have won probably. And people are like, oh, Belichick sucks. It's all Tom Brady. It's like, what? I mean, I think people need to like chill. Like because Belichick didn't get 10 wins with this like put together team. Practice squad time. All, all, yeah. All of a sudden he's a shit coach. It's like he's not like some magician where you can like take a high school team and make him a NFL team. Like it's it, there's a there's limits to it. So you give Belichick a whole offseason to prepare without Tom Brady and you let him do work his work his stuff in, uh, in uh, free agency. And um, I mean, he's made good free agent moves. Um, maybe not so much on offense, but you had Stefan Gilmore get signed in free agency. Um, and that turned out well. So I, th- I think there's like, you just gotta, people gotta wait and chill and see what he can do. Obviously the big question is quarterback. What happens there? But if he can get, um, you know, if he, if he can get solid pieces around an average quarterback, I think he can still make, uh, we can still make noise in the AFC. Maybe not. I don't know what Romo was insinuating, whether he's saying we're going to be the chiefs next year. Like we're going to make it to the super bowl, but I don't think it's out of the question for us to compete next season. Um, at least for a playoff spot. I mean, yeah, yeah you put it that way, it makes sense. Yeah. As long as we have like some, I mean, this is a very crucial offseason. I, I like, I think a lot of people give Belichick a lot of flack, and I think he's going to come up short this offseason and kind of flop. But um, I don't really think he will. I think it's just people are expecting a big booming offseason to get us right back to contention, and like, that's just not going to happen. We've been great for 20 years and a couple of mediocre seasons, you know, bound to happen at some point. So mm-hmm. um, just because you go seven and nine for the first time and you know, since like 1990, something, yeah. you, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not too mad about it. You know, you can't take away the cornerstone of your franchise for the past 20 years and then plug in Cam Newton, who doesn't really have a shoulder anymore mm-hmm. and have him throw to Jameer Byrne and expect him to win 11, yeah. 12 games. Uh, it, it's going to be, I think it's like we keep saying, I think we said it last year, like this could be the most interesting offseason because we didn't, and it, it pro- evidently it probably was for the past 20 years, but I think this one's going to surpass it just because you need, there's so many necessities that you have to address, but most importantly, no one knows who's going to be the quarterback. It, no one can say certainly, you know, I know Spike likes to say that Stidham's going to be the starter, but no one knows with 100% or even, you know, 60% certainty who they think is going to be. There's, you know, you have guys like Watson and Stafford who, you know, you could try to make a move for. Rodgers gets thrown in the mix. Then you have guys like Jameis Winston who we don't know his future with the Saints. Maybe he goes, maybe he takes over for Breeze, maybe he opts out. Um, you know, you have guys in the draft like Mac Jones and, you know, Kyle Trask and all them. Maybe they take a shot on them. Like, there's just so many options. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Belichick does. Um but again, like like you guys said, um, it th- th- like the success that we had, I think kind of like it was kind of like a culture shock for Patriots fans. And they immediately just started attacking whoever they could. And it's, you know, the main culprits have been Cam Newton and Bill Belichick. You know, you're the reason why we didn't um, win the season, which I think is ridiculous. It's It's been Super Bowl or bust for us for the past three years, even longer than that, honestly. And so the fact that when we miss the playoffs, people are like, people think the ship's going down and it's just not, it's just, you had, you weren't going to make up the, to- the ground that Tom Brady had in one season. It just wasn't going to happen. People could, people were hoping for it, but I mean, if people had, you know, there was doubt in everyone's minds when we started that season, even with Newton starting off so hot, you, you still had that doubt where it was like, all right, we're going to have to, you know, beat KC, beat the Ravens, beat those, these teams that um, are just starting to get going. 
So, I mean, I think th- it'll be interesting to see next season what we do because that, that this is the real test. You've had a whole season to get ready. Um, you're going to have cap space. If Belichick, you know, falls flat on his face again and we win six, seven games and miss the playoffs, then there's an argument to be made. How good is Belichick really? I was but, just going to say that. Yeah, just give him a little bit of time. Give him more than one season. I mean, coaches have bad seasons all the time. It's just, it's just nat- you know, natural. Yeah, Jordan kind of went off there. I was going to say how, <laughs> I mean, last year, Belichick pr- pretty much had no cap space. He couldn't do anything with the money. And now he has, I think, the fourth most in the league. So yep. if he doesn't make us like every year, we want him to make a big splash in free agency or make a big, a big splash in the draft. It never happens. But if there's one that needs to happen, it's this year. And I wanted to ask you guys, this will transition into something else. So with the Patriots, but we mentioned Matthew Stafford earlier, just recently. Um, it was earlier this week, I think Detroit reveals that there are some, someone reveals source reveals that Detroit and him are going to part ways most likely this season. Um, He's, st- I'm not, I'm not really, I want to see what you guys have to say. I'm not totally on the Stafford train. I know there's a lot of people that are like, he makes us a contender. And I mean, I agree that he, he had years in Detroit where he was a great quarterback. He just, the defense and his weapons were just not there and he couldn't you know succeed, which is, is true. And it's, it's a hundred percent a good argument to be made, but I'm going to ask you guys this. Like, do you think, um, one, what do you think is we would need to give up to get him? And two, do you, where does he rank on your list of priorities? Is he the number one? I mean, besides like Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers, is he number one? Or would you rather go, I agree with Spike in, in totality, and we don't usually agree, but he said, I'm fine with trading for Stafford, but you have to have a plan for the next two years or for, for two years after this to be able to transition from Matthew Stafford to another quarterback because mm-hmm. we didn't have that plan with Newton and look what happened. So I'm 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 completely on that. If we trade for him, fine. He's a good quarterback, but he's not the solution to this problem that we have. You can't keep jumping bridge quarterbacks. That's how I'm, you know, interpreting mm. what, what he said, and I agree with it. I agree. I think the thing is, if you bring in Stafford, you make a trade for one of these guys, you have to give them weapons to work with because if Tom Brady can't do anything with this offense that you had two years ago, that's very similar to the, to the one we have right now. You know, mm-hmm. none of these other guys are gonna be able to do it. So you got to do it through the draft, free agency, whatever it is, maybe even trade for a couple guys, anybody to just open up your offense for, you know, get a number one, high number two receiver or whatever. I don't know, something to just mm-hmm. give us something to work with, because it's not going to work if you have Matthew Stafford throwing up Jacoby Myers, you know, as great <laughs> as he is, it's it's not going to get you anywhere. So you got to do that. And you also got to get a plan, maybe draft a young quarterback to kind of develop um, over the next couple of years. That's not Jared Stidham. Yeah. So say you run it, you, you trade for Matthew Stafford, right? And that means I feel like you got to grab another quarterback in the draft. I think mm-hmm. a quarterback wide receiver are number one priorities in the draft. I would like to see them grab Jalen Waddle at 15. I've expressed this multiple times. And obviously you're not going to get another first round pick unless you somehow trade up like mm-hmm. later in the first round. But I think a second, like an early second round quarterback would be a great, a great idea for New England to grab, but yeah, that, it's just just because I don't think, obviously, Stafford's going to be a long-term guy, and if you're going to draft a guy like Jalen Waddle, who I don't think they should, um, I think they don't need to pass up on him. Like he's a, he's a great player. There's no need to pass up on a guy like that, especially when you've really drafted no top wide receivers in the past. So, you need, but <clears throat> but Stafford's not going to be the guy. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think your plan is, is correct. Like, and I think we're all kind of all in the same boat. Like what, what Spike said, like, you got to have that transition. You got to do something this season to, to prepare for the next 10 years, even, you know, not necessarily that he's going to be this franchise guy, but have a plan for a QB that comes in and, you know, is 21, 22, 23 years old that you can play for the next five years and maybe, you know, extend and, and, you know, be the future guy. Someone I would, I would um, vouch for to, to grab in the second is like Kyle Trask. I feel like Mac Jones for me is I, we already had our discussion about, you know, who the Patriots take at 15. And I said, Mac Jones is just should not be in the, in the question just because of how, how much talent he had around him and just this, the, the unsuccessful nature of Alabama quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, but someone like Kyle Trask had similar numbers. Um, I think he actually had, had a lot of numbers that were greater than Mac Jones, but he really only had one weapon and that was Kyle Pitts. I mean, he certainly, it certainly helped to have that best tight end in the college football, but he had to work with less Then you still saw him succeed to a pretty high extent. And he's not touted as a first round pick. Um, could he go in like, you know, 28, 29? Sure. But if you can grab him in like the mid second, you know, there's your guy there. there you got to take a chance on a QB. I'm fine with wasting that second round pick. Even if it doesn't pan out, at least you tried. Um, so I just don't that, want Matt Jones. Yeah, I really I don't want Matt Jones. Of that. Yeah. Um, so if we're done talking about the Pats here, um, yeah. we're recording this on Tuesday, January 26th, which marks the one-year anniversary of the tragic death of Kobe Bryant that absolutely broke the world, shocked the world. Um, I know as Celtics fans, there's not going to be many of these, but any great Kobe Bryant memories that you guys wanted to share in wake of his um, in, in wake of his death? That I don't really have like a specific because me- like e- even when I like when I was watching when I started to watch basketball, it was like towards the end of Kobe's career, like post Achilles, so he wasn't like what he was. But like one story that I always that Shaq's always told about when he was with him in L.A. Like it was something like Kobe, and it was like the final couple seconds or something, and um. Kobe was taking like the last four or five shots, which, you know, he should because he's Kobe Bryant. But Shaq was get, like getting angry because I always butted heads, but it was always, you know, they were successful. So it didn't really matter. But um, Shaq said something like his teammate was his teammate was talking to uh, uh, Kobe and then turned around and said, he's, you know, what, what's the plan here? What's the plan here? And Shaq said, he's going to sh- he's going to shoot it. Just grab the rebound. And it's, it's just funny how like like Kobe had like you talk about Mamba mentality, like the he just needed, he needed the ball in his hands and rightfully so, but he was just one of those guys. I think him and MJ are alone in it where they'll take a contested three or a contested shot because they know they can make it. I think LeBron is, is out of that. I think it's just Kobe and MJ. And that's always the comparison you make of like MJ was first and Kobe just learned from him. And he was, he was the modern day MJ as close as you're going to get. So I think that's, you know, the one thing, like all those stories about how him and Shaq were just, you know, they butted heads a lot, but um, just the way Kobe was, um, you know, able to just like make these ridiculous shots, you know, no matter what, what the situation was, there's so many other stories and stuff like that, where he just, you know, took over games. I don't have a specific memory because I don't, you know, really remember him playing that much just because we're all like, fairly on 20 and younger. So it was like, we weren't in his prime, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm sure that the Celtic fans that are, you know, 30, 40 years old have some of those memories where he, you know, kills us in the finals or whatever, you know, 2010 and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. I think 
for me, I can't really think of one specifically because like Jordan's like I started watching basketball probably like 2014 ish when he was pretty much on his way out. Mm. And um, just, you know, there's countless stories, countless clips of him just, you know, doing what Kobe does, hitting crazy shots, taking, you know, airballing four shots in the playoffs mm. against against the Jazz. Just things that like only, you know, he, he would do. He'd have the confidence to take that shot, even if he was, you know, 0 for 20 on the night. It's, yeah. you know, he had the probably the greatest work ethic you've ever heard of out of anybody um, ever, really, maybe maybe any <laughs> sport. Uh, it's just guys that come along like that. Like I would say once in a generation, but really once in a lifetime. I can't really think of anybody else like Kobe Bryant. You know, there's Michael Jordan, but in terms of mentality, he's just, he's just completely different. And, uh, yeah. you know, he completely changed the game of basketball forever. Um, I don't <laughs> think anybody would doubt that. And it's tragic that he had to pass on right when he was beginning, you know, a very exciting part of his, his life after basketball. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think some of that really sticks with me is the fact like an entire generation of kids, just whenever they shoot anything into like a basket <laughs> or whatever, just yell Kobe. I mean, no one's ever going to have that impact on on just life in general. So yeah. uh, just goes to show you like the like he was so well known. He was such an impactful figure in society that uh, yeah. makes it that much more tragic. But, you know, we'll always remember that. So. I'm uh I'm in the same boat as you guys. Um, you know, when I got into basketball, um, Kobe was in you know the towards the end of his career, you know, like you said, post Achilles. But you know, you can't really deny the impact that um, Kobe had on. It wasn't even just the basketball world. Like his, he instilled that mentality, and it doesn't even matter if you play sports. Like that's the crazy part. Like you you can be in any profession. He just pretty much instilled that mentality where like you know, get what you want and work hard to get it, you know, um, don't let anything get in the way. And like, you got to respect that. doesn't matter if you're a Celtics fan or a Lakers fan, like you got, you, you know, Kobe's Kobe. Um, he did so many things off the court that like, it doesn't even matter that he was spending majority of his time, you know, beating our teams, you know, <laughs> he retired and then like won like a golden global award. Like who does that? Yeah. Like, he, <laughs> He was different, and um, yeah. you know there were there were a lot of like Kobe memories. You know, obviously as you know, I'm young. I wasn't really you know into basketball when he was in his prime because I was like five. Um, <laughs> you know, you know like the story that they tell, like when um, Shaq said or the Lakers teammates said, "There's no I in team," but he said like, "But there's an ME in that." You know. Yeah. You know, so yeah. <laughs> um, it's just. It's it's impossible to dislike Kobe, um, yeah. and it sucks that you know he was taken from basketball fans and just people in general so early, and uh, yeah. it's crazy to think that it's been a whole last year already. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it. And but from what you said about his off the court impact as well, you know, there's like a lot of players that are you know recently getting involved in you know, racial injustice and stuff like that. But I think the one thing with Kobe is his impact for WNBA players and fans, because like, there's a lot of, I, I don't like, I hate getting into like arguments about like skill level and stuff like that. It's just like, it's meaningless. It's the fact that WNBA players and women that are growing up and girls and, you know, the United States like want, they they have the same mentality that young guys have to get to the NBA. They want to play in the WNBA. And I think at times people kind of um, undermine not only the dedication that you know the, those girls have, but just the, the WNBA in general, and the fact that Kobe was able to bring relevance and stuff back to that because WNBA always gets swept under the rug. 
And, you know, those are still top tier athletes that deserve recognition. And, you know, his younger daughter obviously was one of the reasons why he was doing that. But um, just something as simple as that, you know, it's they're more than deserving of getting recognition. And for someone, you know, an NBA star like Kobe to kind of put them in that spotlight and just say, you know, look, these people are, you know, just as good as, you know, some of these other athletes, athletes that we see in the world, I thought was great. And you know, that's one of the big things that he did recently that stuck with me. Yeah, yeah one I believe thing... it was an interview he okay. did on Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And it was he was talking about his daughter. It doesn't matter if he had a boy or girl. She was going to be the next big thing in basketball. And that's what he wanted. He was just, just hearing him talk about his daughter like that, the excitement he had and just the way he wanted to just bring her up like just like he was and just bring her up to have that same mentality. She was going to be just like Kobe Bryant, perhaps the goat of the WNBA. Like she yeah. could have been in that conversation. Just like once, like we all said, just a shame that he was taken from us mm-hmm. uh, way too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's one of those things like you're, you're always going to remember where you were when it happened. I remember I was oh, walking yeah. home from, walking home from the library and I like completely stopped my tracks and I was like double check my phone and everything. Everybody was, was freaking out. It was just one of those things you're always going to remember where you were exactly where you were, what time, everything. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where it was like, my friend texts me, he goes, yo, Kobe died. And I'm not like, I'm not a big rap fan. So I'm like, oh, is that like some rapper? Cause I didn't want to believe it was Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And I, um, uh, sooner rather than later, I came to find out it was Kobe Bryant. So it was just one of those things. Yeah. I, um, I remember I was just, I was at the gym and, um, you know, that's not a common occurrence because I'm not exactly a gym rat, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I was at the gym and I got a Twitter notification from uh, King of the Fourth Quarter and it had just said, like, um, like not Kobe, man, or like, no, not Kobe. And I didn't know what he was um, talking about. And then I clicked on it and I saw that it was like um, he had quoted the tweet from TMZ and I just instantly left the gym. It wasn't even like because I wasn't going to believe the first thing I said, especially not something from TMZ, because it was just one news source, um, and then it eventually got confirmed, and that was that was such a weird day. I I I don't think anybody was really. Um, it, at first, it was just like shock. It was yeah. kind of just like, how did that just happen out of the blue? Like, especially given that the night before, Kobe's name was in headlines because LeBron had passed him on the all time like um on the all time scoring list. So like, it was just kind of like such like a you know it turned from a joyous occasion to such a you know just a sad day so it it sucked that that was was rough yeah yeah once again um kobe bryant's gonna live on forever rest in peace kobe bryant as well as everyone else affected by the tragedy that um took place one year ago on this fateful day um but moving on, uh, really nothing much left to talk about. We're going to move into our closing thoughts. If anyone has anything left to say, I know we're kind of all bummed out now <laughs> talking about um, our memories of Kobe Bryant in this day. But if anyone has anything to say, then go for it. I ain't got nothing. I'm good. Um, Nobody pet's frozen on my screen. So we're going yeah, gonna, to close it up here. Uh, uh, we want to thank everybody at home for listening once again, whether it's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you choose to stream our podcast from we appreciate it deeply um and that's pretty much it for us we're we're gonna peace out right now uh super bowl matchup breakdown next week i'm very excited to break this thing down and then once football ends we're gonna be getting back into some 
some basketball, hockey, maybe some baseball content if I can stomach to watch that stuff. <laughs> so in the new guys podcast, it's always a pleasure. We will see everybody next week. Peace.